Welcome back, Intimates. I'm excited to find you experts to talk about love, connection, non-monogamy, polyamory, relationship anarchy, group sex, kink, commitment, and lots of other intimacy and relationship topics. Let's live our best lives together by unlearning stigma and getting clear on what we really want. Don't know what to ask for? I have loads of ideas for you. Of course, none of this would be possible without the support of my amazing Patreon supporters or my current hosts, the Musqueam First Nation on whose unceded lands this podcast was made and this human was born. If you want to support more intimate interactions, you can say thank you by supporting us on Patreon for as little as $1 a month. Patreon supporters also get every episode of the podcast ad-free with short intros and outros. I know funds are not an option for some of you lovely humans, but don't fret, there are other ways you can help out. You can help make more intimate interactions by just telling someone you listen to this podcast. Or if you're feeling especially generous, you can share a link to an episode you like and discuss it with a friend or partner, or even leave us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcasting site. Help other humans interested in more intimacy and better relationships find us. If you have your own podcast, shout us out. Need a podcast guest? Email offers to podcast at victorsalmon.com. I love talking about relationships and intimacy, and I love cross-promotion and working with other podcasters. Okay, let's hear about today's episode. Sophia Sky invites me into her bedroom in this session to podcast about the subjectivity and intimacy of art. How does art create intimacy between the art subject and the viewer, or for that matter, between multiple viewers of the art? We'll try not to be too all over the place, but no promises. We also talk about Sophia's passion for art and sexuality that has in part led to her becoming the director of Pan Eros Foundation, a nonprofit organization that focuses on celebrating and cultivating sexual diversity through education and the arts. Aside from the erotic gallery in the historic Pioneer Square neighborhood of Seattle, Paneros is also responsible for creating the Consent Academy and the Seattle Erotic Arts Festival. Let's dive into the intimacy of art with Sophia Sky now on Intimate Interactions. Welcome to my bedroom. Thank you. <laughs> um, are you comfortable using your name on the podcast? Most definitely. Wonderful. So I'll welcome everyone to a session of Intimate Interactions. I am very pleased to be hosted by the lovely Sophia Skye, um, the director of Pan Eros Foundation, a nonprofit that focuses on celebrating and cultivating sexuality through arts and the education and education. Wow, I totally messed those up, made them backwards. That's okay. It's okay if they're That's backwards. Okay. It is okay if they're backwards. Through education and the arts, their two largest programs are the Consent Academy, which I like, and Seattle Erotics Arts Festival, which I also like. They operate an erotic art gallery in the historic Pioneer Square neighborhood of Seattle. Welcome, Sophia. Thank you so much for having me, Victor. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. So today we're going to be trying to tackle ideas like art as it relates to intimacy, subjectivity, and consent. Um, if we have time, I'm happy to get into what makes you passionate about art and sexuality and talking about the importance of creation stories behind pieces. Um... Let's start off with um, when and how you took stewardship of Paneros Foundation, because you are the only, like, I mean, you're the director, but are there other people that get paid with Paneros as well? I do have an assistant now, and Amazing. I have a part-time bookkeeper, so we're very excited that we're a nonprofit <laughs> with three employees. That's great. And roughly about, um, if you include all the volunteers of all of our different programs, probably about 300 volunteers. That's so many volunteers. Yeah, and most of them are during the Seattle erotic art festival um, mm -hmm. which happens annually at the end of april and we need about i think it's something like 
uh, 400 volunteer shifts just wow. for the weekend itself. That's incredible. Not counting the lead up. Mm -hmm. And we're super lucky that we have a lot of people who really enjoy the festival and adore being a part of it. And so right. a lot of times right. our average person that volunteers for the festival usually does so for uh, two or more shifts. Wow, that's awesome. So it's, a, it's turned into a really nice community over time. That's great. Awesome. So when you think about art, how would you describe the art, the kind of art anyway, that gets you most excited? What effect or achievement of that experience of the art makes it art for you? I would have to say that it's the experience of exploration and um, mm. to say that better would be good art allows me an emotional experience. Yeah, I, I think so too. I think there's definitely um, almost a relationship you develop with a piece of art. Agreed. And it kind of like builds and changes over time. And I think that's what makes Agreed. it so interesting to have art on one's walls. And you do have many pieces of art that I really enjoy on your walls right now surrounding us in your bedroom. Yay, I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah, it's nice. I'm, I'm trying to be mindful of not going um, totally silent as I like have renewed appreciation for it because all of the listeners are like, what art? Tell us about the art. Tell us about the art. Well, a lot of it has, has come from the Seattle Erotic Art Festival, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, except for my ElfQuest art, which is a very important part of actually of my erotic art collection, I feel like. Oh, neat. I actually don't know a lot about ElfQuest. <gasps> I know, Cardinal Sin. Uh, no, not a Cardinal Sin. That means it's exciting, and I could tell you about it later oh, if you would okay. like me to. <laughs> like, I will not bore. Do you have, like, a two-sentence version of what ElfQuest is? I do. Uh, ElfQuest is by Wendy and Richard Peeney, and it is a comic book that follows the adventures of this one particular uh, band of elves um, sure. on this planet, and you find out their whole creation story, and there's a lovely hero myth Neat. that happens, and they are not afraid of sensitivity sensuality and sexuality. Cool. Um, and so that was my first experience with erotic art. Awesome. Wow, talking about emotionality and the experience, um, we're kind of like knocking our way through these questions just because we like are having a lot of agreement. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so um, I'm going to have to improvise a little bit here. So, oh, I wanted to ask you this question, this question about um, art and communication. Would you, so I asked you this question earlier and it sounded like you had a much longer answer for me. So I'm super curious to hear um, what you think art is about because, and I know this relates to what I just asked you, but we were talking about, is art about communication? And you said no. Yes, that is the short answer. So I want to preface this with that okay. I don't actually have any kind of art sure. uh it, training, education sure. or training, sure. anything like that. Like what I know about uh, art is what I learned from being an artist model in like drawing and sculpting studios, um, overhearing the teachers talking about whatever lesson plan they were doing while I was doing um, the figure modeling, mm -hmm. or from Sister Wendy's uh, story of Western painting. Right. <laughs> so, and I didn't even get half, I only got halfway through that book. So mm -hmm. I'm very untutored and very uncultured in the realm of formalized art education or training. Mm -hmm. However, I know what I like. Mm -hmm. And I also 
love seeing how people relate to art as something that is a therapeutic opportunity, mm. either creating or viewing art, um, also as a divine expression of creativity, mm. of like expressing one's spirituality through creation. And also, it it allows us a flight of fancy. It it feeds our imaginations, which is really important, I think, for people being happy and healthy. Is mm -hmm. you know we have to exercise our minds too, and our imagination is the best way <laughs> to do that. Yeah. So for me, it's art is not about communication because communication is a back and forth thing that happens between two things. Mm -hmm. And when you have a piece of art, somebody has put their ideas and their thoughts and created something, and then that can in turn, someone else can interact with that art. But it's a blockage between communication to... The artist. To Yeah, between the two people, the person experiencing the art and the person creating the art. Right, the person creating it doesn't know what your experience with the art is unless you tell them. Exactly. And if we call it communication, then we discount a viewer's experience of a piece of art that's different than the artist's intention when they created it, mm -hmm. which I think would make a lot of people's lives much poorer for by saying, no, your experience is wrong. Right. Um, I used to go and do artist modeling, um, and some, you know, there was always times when I would have to, like, just wander around and wait you know, for it to be time for me to do my thing. And so I've seen many an MFA show <laughs> and seen the little placards that would say the artistic statement of the piece. And it was always confusing to me mm -hmm. um, because invariably not ever having gone to college, not ever, not, not having... Um, uh, an educated an an artistically educated background. Um, I didn't understand a lot of what it was talking about, mm. but I understand emotions and I can relate something that I see to my life experience, or I can have empathy or sympathy for somebody else's experience that I see reflected back at me. Mm -hmm. And I started refusing to read artistic statements until I had developed a relationship with a, with a piece of art. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that would be a year. I worked for an artist um, for a couple of years and he had this huge altarpiece that was 16 feet tall. It opened up. So there were two paintings on the outside on both of the doors. So that was one scene. Then you opened it up. There were the insides of the doors. And then there was the big eight foot by 16 foot tall panel wow. in the center. And this was an amazing piece of art that was so rich and complex. And it was in this artist's studio, and I lived with it every day that I went to work. So four to six times a week, I was looking at this piece of art. And after a year, I was decided, okay, I'm going to read this artistic statement. <laughs> because I felt like I had had developed a relationship with it mm -hmm. so that I could get what I needed out of it. Mm -hmm. and enjoy it to its fullest and then I could start thinking about okay what did the artist mean when they mm -hmm. created this so that then it could become more of an understanding or maybe start a communication between myself and the artist mm -hmm. again through this medium it's not a direct communication mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. sometimes I don't get a piece of art though and I have to read the artist statement right away because I can't create a relationship with something that doesn't have 
uh, an opening for me. Sure. Because there's always going to be art that is like, oh, well, that exists. <laughs> okay. Maybe not for you specifically, but yeah. someone somewhere might find it very interesting. Exactly. Sure. Yeah, I can appreciate that. So that's why I think that art is not communication, because if art is communication, that means you and I could look at the same painting and would get the same thing. And if we don't get the same thing, that means one of us isn't listening properly or we're not. Oh, interesting. We're not understanding properly. You don't have as good a comprehension. Maybe one of us is not as smart as the other. I don't approve of that line of thinking. At right. All. You're like, I don't subscribe to any of that. Nope. Okay. Fair enough. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think it's also, um, it's that nuance about communication being a back and forth. Um, I like the idea of um, how the created thing is in between the two people mm -hmm. and that there's a lot of power in that unidirectional communication of I'm saying a thing and you are listening to it. Ooh, say more about the power of unidirectional, unidirectional well, communication. When you create a piece of art, you simultaneously are being very vulnerable. You're sharing something very mm -hmm. intimate, but other people aren't sharing anything with you. So you True. don't have to do listening at the same time. In some mm -hmm. ways, I think a lot of art that I think is good or I enjoy anticipates a lot. And there's definitely a lot of listening in a sense that goes on with anticipating how people are going to respond. Mm -hmm. Like trying to create an experience for folks means having some understanding of how they're likely to experience and react to what you're making. Okay. But once you've made it and put it out there into the world, you don't have to read the reviews. You don't have to go in the comment section. <laughs> one would hope one um, wouldn't. <laughs> exactly. So you can make the thing. And if it's place where a lot of people are going to come to look at it, say you're actually um, beloved or liked as an artist, I know, <laughs> suspend your disbelief. I think that comes later after everybody who knows you is dead and you're dead. <laughs> yeah, that does seem to be the, the pattern. <laughs> Um, but there is that idea that someone made a thing, they said a thing, and many, many, many people are listening to this thing or experiencing this thing. And there's some power in that in interacting with the art, we don't get to change it. Mm. So this is bringing up some interesting things for me around the concept of uh, asymmetrical uh, intimacy. Mm. So a lot of times, like say, so you're putting artists the way I'm hearing what you're saying, you're putting artists in the same position as, say, like an educator or a celebrity. Yeah, they're somebody who is sharing information about themselves. Right. They are create. They are offering up an insight into themselves to a bunch of people who are not doing the same thing, mm -hmm. either because it's not appropriate, because somebody's lecturing, or because of distance, and there's just not the possibility sure. of it. So that's an interest. I had never thought of the idea of creating art as creating an imbalance of intimacy between people. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, you notice it when you're listening to podcasters, if I can get meta here, mm -hmm. you have this intimate thing that someone's created where they're literally talking to you in your ear, sharing something that you enjoy, hopefully, um, or that you get irritated with or that provokes that emotional experience, right? You're having mm -hmm. this experience of this thing someone made and you get some pretty intimate thoughts that people will share. Um, I listen to this podcast. I'm, I'm listening to it a lot right now because I'm going to get an opportunity to interview the hosts and it's a podcast that's been going for 12 years 
is called oh, Escape wow. Pod. Um, they were podcasters since like before podcasting was, you know, the a cool thing. thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I don't, I don't know if all the hosts have been there the whole time. I don't think they have, but. Uh, so I've been marathoning this podcast and what I'm noticing is it's all short stories so you hear a short story for about 30 minutes and then you get to hear the editor like the host share why they picked that story and what it Mm. said to them so not only do you get the art you get the interpretation of the art by one person so you get your experience of the art first then you get your interpretation or you get their interpretation of the art after and it's like almost having you don't get to have a conversation again you're not conversing with someone about the art Mm -hmm. you're just hearing their most intimate thoughts about this piece of art and so you do this again and again and again week after week you're just like listening to all these podcasts you start feeling like you you kind of know these people oh yeah you, you're like oh I know Joanna so well if totally. she heard this story I know what she would say right yeah exactly and you, and you start thinking like you know I know these people have kids and I know these people have these degrees or work in these areas or really love these specific topics and you, you start getting like a lot of intimate knowledge about someone and then at a certain point you go well hang on a minute I actually don't know those people at all this is strictly what's being presented to me mm-hmm. in this piece of media or this art that I'm consuming mm-hmm. so it's it is kind of this really weird asymmetrical power imbalance because it's not even that it's unidirectional exclusively it's just that there are different kinds of power being shared and we're really hardwired to I think as humans really enjoy the sharing of intimacy mm-hmm. and I think what's really neat about podcasting is someone sharing intimacy with you and you have almost nothing on the line because you're not sharing any intimacy back and I think that's what makes it so appealing that ties into exactly why incorporating or let me change the way I yeah. say that um, that brings up why Art can be a really amazing way to try on an experience Mm. with very low emotional risk. Mm -hmm. So if I look at a piece of art on any subject you can think of, you're going to have an emotional reaction to it. Probably, yeah. And if it's something that's new or you're unsure about or you're unclear about, then it gives you a way to try on those emotions Mm -hmm. around that topic without being in a relationship with someone else, without being in any physical, you know, danger of doing an activity. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there is some emotional risk to Mm -hmm. do the thought process, but not as much as if you were, say, in a relationship with someone. Sure. And that's what I think can be really powerful about somebody going to the Seattle Erotic Art Festival. Sure. Is that we're giving people an opportunity to interact with as many different kinds of art along a vast spectrum of topics around sexuality Mm -hmm. and orientation and identity and gender and parts going in parts and and how people put parts in parts. Sure. And then they can have this experience and look at it. Hopefully they'll go, oh, I don't, it's still not my thing, but I can see the joy. I can see why somebody else would get it. Sure. And ultimately, that's what I'm hoping to do. That's my personal goal for the Seattle Erotic Art Festival. Mm -hmm. Yes. Our mission is to create a place for enjoyment that supports the creation of erotic art and gets it out in people's homes. Yes. Sure. It's all about the enjoyment, creation, and support of these artists. Mm -hmm. I want to change the world. Yeah. I want people to be able to see the humanness and the beauty and the joy in all the ways that people choose to express such an integral part of what makes them who they are. Yeah. 
Yeah. That was really nice. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for letting me say all these things. Yes. It's nice to have an outlet sometimes, mm -hmm. which is like people say, sometimes the artist makes art for themselves mm -hmm. and other times the art's being made because the artist needs a paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> and you know what? Sometimes those are really wonderful pieces too. Yes. Yeah. Sometimes it's that, that fun art that goes on the wall that isn't super deep necessarily, but that's just great. Like mm -hmm. You just love the colors. You love the, t the content and the topics. And you're like, this is great. Maybe not bathroom art, but hallway art or, you know. <laughs> well, actually I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, challenge that a little sure, bit please hallway art is something that you see constantly every day yeah hall you know uh where you choose to hang your art i think really says a lot about it i the painter that i used to work for he mm. painted really intense stuff he actually had someone say i love this painting i can't live with it he actually created two paintings to make doors on over it that was a nice abstract that the person could live with all the time uh-huh <gasps> And then they could open it if they And they could to open look. it when they were when they wanted to have that more powerful piece of art. So if you're wow. walking by something every day, that means you can live with it, and it's it's got some power to it. That's fair. It, it's a more subtle power because it doesn't stop you from going your on your daily routine because it intrudes mm -hmm. on your thoughts so much. But it's still that kind of subtleness of comfort of here's a little encapsulated emotion for you to have access to whenever you want it. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's, that's a lovely way to put art, is this idea of encapsulation of experience and of emotion, and yeah. I've also found that people who put art in their bathroom, that's the stuff they really like that they're just a little nervous about other people knowing about. Interesting. And, well, you, my, my data set is skewed because I work with erotic art. Sure. Because <laughs> I've definitely seen people that have, like, a, a plain sparrow or, like, a flower vase in their bathroom. And you're like, wow, this is really... Uh... Or maybe I'm just thinking about what I've seen in, like, offices and other places where they do try and focus on the safest art. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, that's a, uh, oh, yeah, that's a kind of like eye candy, and usually it's like eye candy that is like stale and like with saccharin instead of real sugar. <laughs> stale eye candy with saccharin. Yeah. So like some. If kind we're talking of like office a, art, especially right. if we're talking office bathroom art. Yeah, I mean sometimes it's just a cat on a branch saying, "Hang in there." Is that art? <laughs> <laughs> this is the question we've been asking all day. Right, it's true. Um, for those of you listening, I was a CIF art juror this year, which was great. Yay, thank Yay. you so much. Oh, you're very welcome. It's very hard work. For anybody who has never done this before, I just want all your listeners to know what an absolute trooper you are <laughs> for wading through over 1,200 entries. It was a lot um, of entries. Yeah, it's, it's it makes for tired eyeballs and tired brains, and mm -hmm. you know sometimes it can suck your soul a little bit to have to, you know, be on the emotional churn for that long. Yeah, it's it's a lot. It's a it's, it's a fair number of hours. But you know, you you made it so easy with your site. Your site is so much. Yay. It facilitates it in so many ways. There's always going to be like those one or two little feedback notes. But mm -hmm. to be honest, like on the whole, I was really impressed with the technology. Oh yeah, thank um, you. So literally, for those of you listening, 
Shout out to Dave, my website guy. Well, thank you, Dave, for <laughs> making a system that was actually pretty easy to use. And for Aja, too. Aja did the bones of it and created the whole thing from nothing. Thank you, Aja. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I basically had it on my phone, and it wasn't that dissimilar from, like, my experience of DeviantArt, mm -hmm. which is a site. Wow, I'm dating myself back in the day. It's still up. Is it still it's up? It's still there. Awesome. Yeah. You can literally just, like, flip through people's art by artist and by whatever. You just look for art you like and look for similar art. Um, in this case, we only have the submissions to look through that have been formally submitted to CIF and their rules and guidelines and such. And then we end up with this pool of art. And then literally on my phone, I can be accessing, I can log in as a jury member and access all this art and put in my ratings and submit and sort of move through the art that way. And I can randomize my starting position and all kinds of stuff. So I had a pretty good experience. It was, it was a lot of art. Mm -hmm. And then today we all came together to do an in-person art jury where we all talked about art, why we liked what we liked and went through the third highest rated and then filled in from there. Mm -hmm. Which was, that was the interesting part. Cause the third highest rated, there was not that much dissent. Most people were like, yeah, we like this. Yeah. We like this. That's why we rated it so high. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a voting jury, which means we have to have a majority, but we don't need a consensus of everyone. Which I think is important for variety reasons. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think you end up with more varied art that way. You're, That's what I was hoping for. You're going to get art that a couple of people may really hate, mm -hmm. but that the other three really like. I know, and we had really great splits all over the place. So many splits. And such good conversations, too. Um, everybody on the jury was so good about tell me why yep. I might, you might change my mind yep. or, Oh, now I understand that mm -hmm. subculture a little bit more than I used to. And so yep. I, I see the value of that. I see the joy in that. I was the one advocating day and night for sharps, mm -hmm. on needles or cuts and stuff. I was like, let the subculture have their entry. <laughs> we need like one or two. I don't, did we get one with needles? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if we got, we one, got one with, with needles removed, I think. Right. With needles removed and the blood trickling, at least in one. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But there was a lot of a, a lot of big nope around the needles. There was a lot of big nope around the needles. Mm -hmm. That's true. Um, there was there was which an on image. a visceral level I completely understand. Personally, as even though as someone who does that kind of play, mm -hmm. I really don't particularly like it. But it, I sure. love the results of it. Mm -hmm. So I'm there with them. Needles are dumb. <laughs> <laughs> It's when the someone, blood that's great. Right. Then when someone pulls all the needles out of you and Whee! you start bleeding, you're like, yay. <laughs> right. Got it. Um, yeah. No, I've bottomed for needles before. I get so endorphin high right. when needles go into my body. I do not. Yeah. I I literally have had two needles go in and then had someone punch the needles while they're in my body. Wow. That was really endorphin and releasing. And then they took the needles out. First one was nice way. And I was like, oh, that wasn't so bad. Second one was horrific. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was like, why? But I mean, obviously they got consent and asked, right. negotiated for that. And I was like, yeah, we'll do one the nice way and one the hard way. And it was like, cool. The nice way is like this. And I was like, well, that's not so bad. <laughs> And then they were like, that's because that was the nice way. <laughs> Here's the hard way. And it was like, grasp all the flesh around it so it's contorted and just pull the needle out. So it, mm -hmm. I really oh, should. no twisting? There was definitely some twisting. I was going to say, because that's how you oh. get the, basically the cutting lacerations under this Well, skin. and now I will enter a content warning. Oh, I think folks. that's probably a really good idea to have a content <laughs> warning. 
I'm kind uh, of one big content warning. You know? <laughs> that's okay. Um, sharps and blood discussion because we talk about sharps and blood. So. I enjoy sexual exhibitionism so much. I don't know if this is even leading into a question, but I had it written okay. on my notes, so, like, why not? Um, which is one of the reasons why I like play parties a lot. Um, and and do you enjoy sexual exhibitionism, uh, clarifying question, yeah. uh, for yourself and how you approach the world? Mm. Or, or is it a enjoying the everybody doing the exhibition of being in public or a mix of them? I think... I think it's a mix of them for sure. Okay. And there's like a third piece, which I'm currently like thinking hard about that is like rooted in a sense of insecurity and validation that I get mm -hmm. from doing all the really cool things to someone else and being appreciated for my ability to have mastered doing those really cool things. Hmm. And putting that and putting that in the exhibition. Yeah. So there's, like, kink that I can top for that doesn't really feed me that I will do in public. Because doing it in public feeds me. Got it. Which is okay. really interesting. That is fascinating. Thank you for sharing that. Because mm -hmm. I have a hard time with exhibitionism where doing the privacy of... of any kind of sex act and for me mm. a lot of kink is a sex act mm. and that vulnerability I feel when I'm in the doing sex acts I really am not interested in any kind of exhibitionism right. however I perform and there are certain things that I absolutely absolutely you know will totally do if it's a performance and it will be different right because it's a in a, it's actually a performance so I do I used to do a lot of aerial performances that I started melding with bondage to get this kind of like mm -hmm. aerial bondage mashup that cool. happens and so that for me is the one time where I can shift it and not be doing it for uh, for performing for a crowd, but I'll do it to please my partner. Like where it's like, I'm going to make these pretty shapes for you. I'm going to be pretty for you. So it's this exhibition for one that I don't mind doing in a public setting, but everything else is horrific <laughs> to do in public. Right. And if somebody makes me, then I'm okay with it. Right. Uh, and make me in the sense I'm using my little air quotes for meta consent. Right, of, right. You know, I have relationships where it's like, you right. are allowed to put me in these uncomfortable con situations, situations because sure. you want to and it turns you on and I like pleasing you. Right. And, oh, no, I had to do it. I had no choice. <laughs> I dig that whole fantasy. Got you. Yeah, consensual not consent's hot for sure. Um, I brought up um, exhibitionism because I wanted to talk about um, Occupy mm. in like being an enabler almost and being like, hey, you bet you didn't know you could do these really cool weird things. Well, you can. Mm -hmm. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> Oh, so kind of like a that exhibitionist who is not so much doing it for the validation or doing it for mm -hmm. uh, the pure pleasure of it, but doing it for the idea that they are creating yearning in someone else mm. for the experience is yeah. what I'm hearing. Almost again along that um, desire to be validated and appreciated 
mm -hmm. um, but focus more on um, what you can give people, like part of what they get out of the art then um, becomes this idea that they're learning about these whole new modes of moving through the world, interacting mm -hmm. with people. Yeah. I like the I like the idea of enabling. Mm-hmm. It just seems like, hey, all this stuff is really risky. This is my best approximation of the lowest risk version of this thing. Mm-hmm. Well, not only that too, is that when you ju just now what you said for me as mm -hmm. showing people a way to move through the world. Yeah. Is that I have had so many people come up to me and say, you know what, as a trans woman, going to SEAF and seeing art of people that look like me and having it be celebrated mm -hmm. is amazing and wonderful and made me feel beautiful and valuable. Mm. And that is a way of showing someone how they can be in the world that's more subtle and softer than a skill or, or an activity, but more about, sure. you know, uh, very down to the core uh, mm. of one's, you know, like worthiness as a person. Like existing in the world in a way that is appreciated and celebrated mm -hmm. rather than feeling like the whole world just fucking hates you and there's no space for you. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a that's charged with a lot of powerful feels for me. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that. Then again, so much art is. <laughs> um, that's great. Just going to adjust our microphone. Cool. So, right. Part of my experience of appreciating art sometimes is I try and imagine the experience of creating the art from the perspective of the artist. And I'm kind of interested, like, if you do that as well and if you have any stories about that. Hmm. Ah. Uh I always welcome and, and am excited to hear about those stories, mm. but I've been burned enough times wow. that I usually wait for the stories to come to me. I have sometimes found that when I'm really excited about a piece of art and I'm like, tell me how you wrote the how right. you did this piece of art and then I hear the story behind it and it ruins it for me oh interesting so I tend to be a little uh, you know a little nervous about that um, I try to only ask about pieces of art that I don't have preconceived notions on or not a strong attachment to now that being said one of the things that people love mm -hmm. when I'm, you know, doing my art tours at the art festival is that I will tell them the stories about how the art was made if I know them. Because mm. um, I love talking to the artists about, tell me about how you got this idea. What's this behind you? We actually invite any of the artists that are somewhat local to come to Gallery Arado, our, our, sure. uh, where we have our gallery year-round. Historic Pioneer Square. And <laughs> Yes, thank you very much. <laughs> We're very proud of that. I'll tell you why in a few minutes. Okay. Um, and we, we basically put on a slideshow of the accepted and the invited art, and we pause it and let the artist tell the stories behind the art. Oh, neat. And sometimes it's just a litany of what their f-stops were on their camera, and the lighting and this and that. Uh, and sometimes okay. it's the, it's the, well, what I do is I 
take off my underwear when I'm bleeding and make sure that like, you know, uh, I put the clay down on the ground so that it'll get wet with my menstrual blood. And then after, you know, I've been, you know, I've bled on it enough, then I start, you know, mixing it again to make sure that the blood is all in there so that it is imbued when I do my yoni cups. Cool. So sometimes it's, it goes really in depth in how they create the art. And other times it's like, here's a really happy accident that I had right. that means this to me because you know, when this happy accident happened with my clay or my photograph, you know, this is what came up for me. And then that helped me finish the piece off and make it the fabulous, you know, gave it that last finishing touch to it. Mm-hmm. And then when I share those, those stories with people, it's a way for them to connect further with the art. Mm-hmm. But I've also seen people shut down too. Really? There was this one piece of art that we had years ago that was just a big, and I'm by big, I mean like uh, three foot by four foot, so a meter to a meter and a third. <laughs> Love it. Um, Love and it. it was just a mirror with the word slut written on it. And it was at the art festival and I knew the person who bought it and they were just like, yes, looking in the mirror where it says slut back at me. It's like, I'm a slut and this is good and I'm owning it. Right. Every time I look, every time I look in the mirror, there was a whole bunch of people that saw the shame. No, the artist made that piece of art after waking up with someone uh, after a one night stand that they had been drunk and they didn't remember going home with this person and they were just like, I'm a slut. This is, I'm disgusting. Wow. That is so different. Mm -hmm. That is so different. Yeah. (laughs) Humans are all about narratives. They are. And that's why it's so important to let them have theirs. And so Uh I'm always really careful about like, oh, well, if you're curious about the origin story of this piece, or if you want to hear a funny story about when it was made, Mm. you know, like that kind of thing, I try to keep it more about how it was made rather than like intention around it. So it still leaves Mm. room for people to create that connection with the piece of art and, and not have their reaction to it nullified or eroded in any way. Right. Invalidated. That's a better word. Yes. Yeah. And I think part of that comes from the importance of the intention of the artist, like that we seem to place as a society. We Mm -hmm. often have like a really big attachment to, well, if, if what I interpret this as isn't what was intended, then my interpretation is invalid. Mm -hmm. So as soon as you tell a story in a lot of ways, a lot of people bring their social baggage with them, their cultural baggage and just invalidate their own opinions. Um, Whereas for me, I I don't really care what a person intended. I mean, it's neat to know and it adds a dimension to the art, but I don't think it nullifies our own interpretation. Like if I got Mm -hmm. that interpretation, I didn't, I didn't just make it up. Like I got it from somewhere Mm -hmm. or maybe I did just make it up, but no more so than the artist did. Right. And what's wrong with making things up? Right. It's about that experience. I think it's a, it's a creation in and of itself. And anytime Mm. art begets more art, that's really good art. 
yeah. art that makes you want to run down, you know, to the art store and buy a drawing pad is amazing art. I went to a concert by the group Stomp. Okay. Have you, have you heard of them? Very vaguely. So they were late 90s, early 2000s, and they were like banging on garbage bands, like symphony, like they would make okay. symphony out of just banging stuff. I left that concert hall wanting to hit fences on the way and make patterns. It was like, that was some good fucking art for fucking banging on pots and pans and trash can lids as symbols. That's great. Jumping. Yeah, it was It amazing. makes me think of Tom Waits um, because he had a boneyard orchestra, I think it was called, or a junkyard orchestra. Very, something very similar. Um, mm -hmm. For the Black Rider, he had a lot of like um, percussives that sounded very bone-like and like lots of clanging. Like it was a really grungy, dirty mm -hmm. sound. Um, yeah. I, I enjoyed it though because it was a themed album. Anyway, sorry, that's just you're no, making that's me think perfect. about like. No, it's making connections. Yes, it is. Yeah. yeah. And that's perfect. So if you see a piece of art and it inspires you to make up a story about what sure. happened, sure. you're being creative. I think so. You yeah. maybe haven't made a tangible creative thing, but you, mm -hmm. you were using your imagination. You were inspired to create a story. Mm -hmm. It made you curious enough to figure out, well, what was happening here? Yeah, I think. How did they get to this point? Right. I think the worst thing that can happen is a person glances at a piece of art and just keeps walking. Yeah, that's the meh factor. And yeah. that's, the, oh, it's a death knell. Yeah, yeah, the, the meh response to art is, I think, the worst one. Yeah. I think if you get really engaged and make up a narrative that the artist doesn't intend, that's great, mm -hmm. personally. Agreed. Cool. So talking about, right, facilitating, um, aside from relationships with artist and art subject, there's also a place, I think, for art community. You were, you were talking about the community you've built at CIEF, and um, you also mentioned the guided tours, and when I was at CIEF and went on a guided tour, some of the, the best interactions I had weren't just hearing the context for the art, but having conversations with other people that were experiencing yes. art at the same time. Yes, yes, more, more. <laughs> <laughs> so I was going to ask, what role does community have in in providing room for sharing our experiences if artists aren't there to hear them. Um, yeah, like what, what role does community play in making it more of a conversation even if that conversation is not with the artist? Mm, I understand the distinction that you're making. I think then it becomes the art becomes not a tool of communication, but a tool for enabling communication. Mm. Because me coming up and standing in front of a piece of art and being dumbstruck by it, and you coming up and standing beside me and say, wow, are you feeling something right now? Talk, that, talk has that has enabled us to have a connection. Right. Um, so I definitely think that art without the artist around is incredibly valuable for communities. I mean, it can rally communities to a cause. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, As it has done, yeah. Exactly. Uh, time over time, um, it can make statements. Mm -hmm. um, I'm thinking of Diego Rivera's a California Stock Exchange painting that he did that was all about celebrating the worker and people were like what the hell is this and he's like I'm a socialist you hired me <laughs> <laughs> or actually I think technically he was a communist back then um, but it, it so it's a way for a community to 
you know, have these experiences, and we don't need the artist. And I don't mean to be, I don't mean to be discounting of the artist. Mm -hmm. But I love that idea that you're talking about of like, what role does it play without the artist? There, I think a mm. lot of times we think of the art as an extension of the artist. Sure, um, and it, it is the artist putting themselves out there, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean that it has to end with that communication. Like, there's so much more that happens after that, I think. So there's a poet I know, his name is David Jones, mm -hmm. um, and he talks about his poems as his children. <laughs> and he gives birth to his children and he sends them out to his, into the world when he speaks them. A lot of times he will write poems and give the only copy away to someone who has a, a profound reaction to a piece of art because he's like obviously wow. you need this more than I do he he considers him the himself the conduit and they're his children and they need to go out into the world and wow. do what they're supposed to do that's that's intense he's a pretty intense person yeah I find a lot of artists are not all of them but a fair majority there's a lot of really intense people that do art there's also a lot of really intense people that do kink and BDSM and mm -hmm. it makes sense that there would be some overlap there with you know kinky community and and um, and art and uh, like sex positive circles and all that jazz there's just I wonder if um, if we could put artists who create and people who do kink play as in the same camp, for lack of a better word, mm -hmm. of here is this tool that you have that gives you access to... People's emotions and reactions. Yeah. Interesting. Is, is BDSM I mean, play just another way for us to have these peak emotional experiences right. like art does? Right. I would say yes. I think there it's certainly under the umbrella of art. I think it absolutely evokes intense experiences. Talking about communities, um, I feel like communities, I just wanted to add this on to the last point, are a yes. collection of relationships. And relationships are a collection of interactions. So like having that those building blocks of community of having these intense mm -hmm. interactions especially among people that are all appreciating art together I think is so mm -hmm. important as a formative step for community um, which sort of takes us to BDSM and how people talk about kink and BDSM as, as um, like what community like there is no hard community but I think in so many ways kink and BDSM gives you exposure to lots of people and the opportunity to build your own community but you have to do it interaction by interaction right because kink and BDSM are activities that people engage in. Mm. They can't be a community because, right. and just going back to your definition just a moment ago mm. of where a community is a collection of relationships. Yeah. And, you know, anything can make a community and can be the catalyst or the binding factor. Mm -hmm. You know, it could be your knitting circle. Sure. It could be your kink. It could be your drawing class that you go to every, you know, first Thursday. It could literally be all three of those things at once if you're drawing on your bottom with a needle. It's true. <laughs> Sorry, I just needed to. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> If you could have made that a pun, it would have been even better for oh, me. Oh, I'll have to try harder next time. <laughs> um, yes. So we're talking about communities. You were talking about BDSM and kink as intense experiences of emotion and the ways that we evoke them in people and experience them ourselves. I'm a huge fan of all of that. Me too. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's pretty much all I wanted to ask. That so, sounds good. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Intimate Interactions. Yay! Thank you so much for having me on here. It was so lovely to talk with you. It was lovely to talk with you as well. 
So how was it, Intimates? Did you love something you heard, or maybe you're upset by something I said? Leave your comments on facebook.com slash interactions, or you can go to patreon.com slash victorsalmon, where you can find our Discord server. All of these communities are available on intimatepodcast.com, and I genuinely look forward to speaking with you soon. If you liked it, please consider helping us pay for show costs over at Patreon for as little as $1 per month. It's incredibly helpful. It's just a dollar a month. If you can afford it, we would hugely appreciate having your support. And hey, if that doesn't work for you, I completely understand. You can also help out by going to leave a review on iTunes or other favorite social media platform. Social proof like that helps so much with visibility and audience building. It helps other intimacy and relationship nerds find us. And if any of that just sounds like too much work, you can always do something really simple and it still goes a long way. Something like just tapping share and sending an episode that you liked, maybe a favorite, to a friend or partner, or maybe you can send them something you think they might really like. That's probably more considerate. (laughs) Thanks so much for your time and for your help in keeping us making more of Intimate Interactions. Oh yeah, I almost forgot. The intro music was Driving in the Rain by Timecrawler, and this outro music is Acoustic Blues by Jason Shaw.